You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odours and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. Their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to a dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I think it's fantastic that more and more people these days are becoming conscious of the food they eat, but shouldn't we be taking the same care for our pets? The health of our dogs means so much. So no wonder owners are posting their glowing reviews of Badlands dog food and how it has improved the energy and coat of their beloved dogs. But don't take it from me. Go to badlandsfood.com forward slash frightful and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com forward slash frightful. In 2021, I applied for a rather unusual job. It was during the COVID-19 pandemic, a time when millions of us had to stay in our homes in lockdown. Public events were cancelled, and so the Uteborg Film Festival in Sweden realised that they, like many others, could no longer hold their event that year. But rather than cancel, they came up with an eerie alternative instead. They would press ahead with the film festival, but only one single audience member would be invited and the films would not be shown at a cinema, but inside the Paternoster Lighthouse, which sits on a tiny cluster of rocks called Hamnishkar, surrounded by the crashing ocean waves. It would be five kilometers from the mainland, and it would be accessible only by helicopter or rigid inflatable boat. If I was picked, I would spend seven days on this minuscule island, with no phone, no family, no friends, just me and 60 film premieres. So I poured out a whiskey and filled in all the forms and applied. It seemed like a great idea because I already write a monthly film column for a magazine called The 14 Times, so I love movies. But it was the location that really intrigued me. There's a certain romance and drama about these offshore lighthouses. But there was a sense of fear too, especially when I saw the picture of the island looking scary and windswept with furious waves breaking over it. And it was just so small, smaller than I expected, about 100 meters wide and 150 meters long. Over a family dinner the next night, I showed my kids the picture and said, look, daddy just applied to stay on this island for a week and watch movies. Pretty cool, eh? They took one look at the picture and got instantly upset. No, they said, you cannot go there. Daddy, please, it looks scary. Don't go. 
Well, as I waited to get a reply from Sweden, I decided to read up on interesting stories about offshore lighthouses. A bit of research, you could say. But the more I read, the less keen I was on the trip. And there was one story in particular that was so creepy. It just kept coming back to mind whenever I looked at that ominous picture of the lighthouse. Well, the day came when the successful candidate was announced and it wasn't me. Turned out they'd had over 12,000 applicants and an emergency nurse called Lisa Enroth got the job. And there was a shade of disappointment, of course, but my kids were delighted and I must say I felt a little relief too. Because I thought... Well, at least I won't have to lie in bed on that tiny wind-battered rock, desperately trying to shut out the true event that happened to two lighthouse keepers in the year 1801. With that story now lodged in my head, I would not have gotten any sleep at all. Well, I hope you don't mind losing sleep. Because I'm Peter Laws, and tonight you and I are headed offshore for a true tale of maritime terror as we spend a night alone with the horror at Small's Rock Lighthouse. The horror happened in the United Kingdom at Small's Lighthouse, which stood on a tiny cluster of rocks 21 miles off St. David's Head in Wales. Now, you might be picturing a classic brick lighthouse, perhaps. A tall, sturdy pillar with a solid, revolving light at the top. You might even imagine the iconic white and red stripes that help ships' navigators instantly identify them. But bring your image down. No, further down. Because Small's Lighthouse was built in 1776, and back then it was more like a tall but small octagonal hut made of wood and not stone and it was raised from the ground on nine legs made of wood and cast iron. After the tragic events you're about to hear, the investigators described the structure as a raft of timber rudely put together. It was a stormy part of the world, and so the lighthouse was frequently in need of repair, but for the first 15 years of its operation, its life was relatively normal. That was until the horror came in the year 1801. Two men had been chosen to be stationed at Small's Lighthouse. One was called Thomas Griffith and the other Thomas Howe. But despite sharing a name, they did not have much of a bond. In fact, the two men did not care for one another at all. Yet the job of a lighthouse keeper is not primarily to light colleagues, it's to keep the light glowing. So these two men were thrown together on this tiny rock 20 miles from anywhere else, and they were tasked to live and work together in a structure that was only about 4.5 meters in diameter. Who knows how tense it might have been in that tiny space? Were they at each other's throats, or did they simply ignore one another? We don't know. But everything plunged into a much more serious level when Thomas Griffith was hurt in a freak accident on Small's Rock. The wound was quite serious, and as the time went on, he became dangerously unwell. His colleague, Thomas Howell, knew that he would have to raise the alarm to get medical help. But the storm and their remote location meant leaving this island was impossible at that moment. 
and the rudimentary communication system of the time did not prove effective. And so Howell just had to sit there, watching Griffith's health deteriorate, hoping and praying for a break in the clouds that never came, because the storm refused to let up, and after a few weeks of painful suffering, Griffith died. Now, Howell may not have liked Griffith much, but at least he'd had some sort of company. Yet now Howell was utterly alone, and as he stared out into the stormy sea, he fell into a panic. He was now trapped on a tiny scatter of rocks with a corpse. How would he cope? He paced the rocks, trying to figure out what to do next, and as he racked his brain for a solution, a terrible realization came to mind. Everybody knew that the two men disliked one another, and now one of them had died as a result of an injury. So when help finally did come, how could Howell prove that Griffith had died from natural causes? What if they suspected him of murder? Would they think that the pressure of being alone on this rock could have driven one to put out the light of the other? This lonely paranoia of the island made him start to feel certain of it they would accuse him of killing Griffith. A frantic howl started to think through his options. He considered taking Griffith's body and tossing it into the angry ocean. Perhaps he could simply tell the authorities that the lighthouse keeper had been swept away, blown from a rock by the gale force winds. At least if he did that, the body would be in the sea, and he would not have to live and sleep and eat, perhaps for weeks, within whispering distance of a corpse. But he was rational enough, at least at that point, to realize that throwing the body into the sea would look even worse. And what if Griffith washed back up on the rocks again with his injury? Might the police look into his dead, accusing glassy eyes and immediately march Howell to jail, no matter how much he protested? So Howell knew that even though he wished it was different, he would have to keep the body nearby. But the size of this rock meant it would be too near for comfort. Not wanting to have to look at a cadaver every day and night, he set about making a coffin. The task took him a few days, and he hammered wood together as the biting wind squealed outside and as the corpse lay there patiently waiting for its new home. Now, this was a task that Howell could do well. He'd been a carpenter before he'd worked on the lighthouses, but dealing with wood is one thing. He was not prepared or qualified for the next part. He braced himself for the task he did not wish to do, touching the corpse of Griffith. Sliding his hands under the cold, stiffening arms of the dead man, and then having to drag him and lift him into the box. Finally, he placed the cadaver into the coffin, and he sealed it, perhaps with relief. But after so long staring at the dead man's face, I'm sure a little piece of timber wasn't quite enough to block out the image of that twisted face still glaring up at him and out of the wood. It happened on a Tuesday night after my wife and I had finished dinner. We just cleared away the plates when, boom, she turned to see that I had vanished, nowhere to be seen. Did she scream at my sudden disappearance? Was she worried that I'd headed off to that spooky lighthouse after all? 
Nah, not really. She just knew I'd nipped into my easy chair so I could rack up some more points on Best Fiends, the puzzle game that is so much fun you might have to arrange a few disappearances of your own. Best Fiends is a cracking little puzzle game with thousands of levels and super cute characters. You'll just want to keep returning to it to beat the levels. I'm on level 61, which means I need a few vanishings to happen this week. It's free to download, and you can even play it without Wi-Fi, which means yes, poor old Thomas Howell, if only he had had Best Fiends on his phone, the nightmare on Small's Rock Lighthouse would have been a dream, because he'd have had stacks of time to get his levels up. He'd probably be begging to stay, but he didn't have the app. Or a phone, actually. But you've got a device, haven't you? So why not download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Remember... Howl was living, sleeping, working, and eating in this lighthouse of less than five meters in diameter. So this coffin would reach across half of the floor. So we can understand why he chose not to keep the coffin inside. Instead, he dragged it out into the harsh cold. But he couldn't just leave it there lying on the rocks, because what if a wave was to wash it away? So, battered with spray from the sea, he took a heavy length of rope and tied the coffin to the wooden shelf on an exterior wall outside. And then, confident that it was secure, he went back inside and finally let his breath free. Now, he would just have to wait for this malicious, spiteful storm to calm down so that rescue might finally come. We're not exactly sure how long Howell was alone with the corpse, but historians who have studied the records suggest that it would probably have been about three weeks, which when you pause to consider it, is a terribly long time to attempt sleep as the storm rattled the windows just as the thought of a murder accusation rattled the mind of Howell. And to know that only a few feet away, just beyond the door, his namesake was rotting in the cold. But as long as the storm raged, he had to stay. So he waited and waited, slowly going mad, desperately trying to figure out if the moans and groans he could hear in the night were still the sound of the timber frame creaking and shifting in the wind, or was it something else shifting out there in its box? There are some mundane reports from the time which, when you know the story, are chilling. Records that say how many ships were passing the island during the storm, and how they recorded seeing the lighthouse shining and working as normal. They simply passed by, having no idea that there was a man in desperate need of rescue on those rocks. Then, as if the events were not ghoulish enough, the constant storm started to rattle the coffin instead. Howell was a skilled carpenter, but even he was not able to build a box that would withstand the type of wind and rain that assaulted the coffin outside. And the nails gradually started to loosen. And now the coffin really was groaning and moaning. Or was it Griffith himself letting out a haunted, mournful cry from inside the wood? 
and as the wind grew stronger, the corpse started rocking back and forth in its box, just as Howl rocked back and forth inside the lighthouse, desperately trying to block out this nightmare sound. But then, a particularly savage gust of wind undid all of those days of Howl's hard work, and a scene in the coffin wood split open. Enough to let the corpse of Griffith fall toward the crack. Enough to let his long, dead, rotting arms slide out and into the hammering rain. And how did Howell know this was all happening? Simple. Because if the wind was strong enough to crack open a well-made coffin, it was strong enough to lift a dead, lifeless arm. Howell could not have possibly realized the risk he'd taken by placing the coffin near to the window. And now he must have desperately wished he hadn't. Because he heard tapping against the quivering glass panes. And when he looked over, he was appalled to see Griffith's putrefied hand pressing against the pane to get in and then swinging and lolling and pressing again and then rattling with a mad tapping. They say fingernails grow after death in a coffin, which is actually not strictly true. They appear to grow because the dead flesh around them starts to shrink and retract as the skin dies out. And so Griffith's fingernails really would have been longer than ever against that window. And to be trapped with a corpse is frightful enough, but to have that corpse constantly reaching out to you in the night, to be unable to sleep because of its wet slapping, would send many people to the brink of sanity. And this storm and this scenario continued for weeks, while poor Howell was trapped in there with no help at all. It's even said that around that time, other ships would pass by in the daytime and members of the crew would idly look over with their telescopes only to see a lolling figure standing awkwardly by a window. Was it just the lighthouse keeper fixing the frame, perhaps? Was he just waving at them in a weird mechanical way? Or had the keeper lost his mind as they are sometimes wont to do? Of course, they were seeing Griffith or Griffith's corpse, still tied by the rope, but now free of the coffin, which had split apart completely so that he just danced like a mad devilish scarecrow in the gale force wind. Whatever the explanation, no ship was curious enough to sail closer to see the truth. And so the ordeal went on. But then, finally, after weeks of storms, the weather gradually started to improve, and it was only then that a standard relief boat sailed from Milford and made its way to the Smalls Rock Lighthouse. And at last, someone would check up on the two men who had braved such a fierce storm together. When it docked at the sun-drenched lighthouse edge, the crew on board discovered a nightmarish scene. Griffith, the dead man, was now a horrendous and rotting ghoul deformed by the elements, and Howell, who had been trapped with that ghoul for every second of every day and every night, had lost his mind. With strained and shocked faces, the crew entered the tiny wooden lighthouse and helped pour Howell onto the boat, 
and finally they set off onto the same sea that had so completely trapped him all of these weeks. And even though the hellish lighthouse shrank and shrank behind him, the trauma and the memory of the events of Small's Rock would never, ever leave Howl in peace. And any ghosts he met on that island sailed home with him. He was a different man, they say, when he got back to the mainland. Not just in his mind, but in his body too. Family and friends did not even recognize him. His hair had turned gray from the horror of it all. And who knows if he ever truly slept well again, especially on the nights when the breeze was up and the fingers of a winter tree tapped against the windows of his home, just to remind him of that time when it rained forever and washed his sanity away. The Smalls Lighthouse incident would have a significant impact on the British maritime industry. People realized how foolish and dangerous it had been to station only two people on a rock lighthouse without regular checks. The rules were changed, and now there had to be three lighthouse keepers just in case. Despite investigators saying that the wooden lighthouse was a raft of timber rudely put together, the structure survived for decades after. But then in 1861, the lighthouse was upgraded and replaced with a structure that stood 41 meters tall. Then, in 1978, a helicopter deck was added. And in 1987, the lighthouse became fully automated, so that keepers were no longer required. The automation of lighthouses would, of course, mean the end of a long-held occupation. These lighthouse keepers really were heroes, braving the elements and isolation and the sometimes crushing loneliness so that countless ships and boats could get home safely. And I sometimes wonder, why didn't Howl just turn out the light? Surely that would have alerted the passing ships that something was wrong. But maybe, even in his terror, he did not want to put the ships at risk. Did he sacrifice his sanity for them? Or is the answer more simple? That he was just too petrified to turn out the lamp completely. Because then, he would be in total darkness and all alone with the horror at Small's Rock Lighthouse. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show and want to support it, please do consider joining my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws. But for now, I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Frightful. Good night.
What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.